Buffy the Vampire Slayer premiered on March 10th, 1997. Let's put 43 minutes and 27 seconds on the clock. Pilot study, Chris and Grimes. They're talking all of your favorite shows. But only the pilot episode. That means the first show, in case you didn't know. Well, you never know what show they're gonna talk about. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. Hello and welcome to Pilot Study. I am your host, Chris Lanty, and I'm joined, as always, by the one and only Grimes! That's right. I'm here in the place to be. This is episode, episode number nine. Yep, episode number nine of Pilot Study, and this is the second in our theme month, Monster Hunter Month. The first was X-Files. We hit that first as we could be well in advance of the revival, which is dropping on January 27th over on Fox. So if you haven't checked that out that episode, do that as soon as possible. You can find it over at modern-vinyl.com, where we're part of their family of podcasts, or on iTunes under Pilot Study Podcast, and find us on Twitter at Pilot Study Pod. So we're following up The X-Files with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which of course premiered on... March 10th, 1997. It was on the WB, right? Yeah, the WB. Wow. And this is the second straight 90s era show where our age difference isn't helping us at all because you never watched a Buffy. I never did. I just, it missed me totally. I was aware of it. It was one of those things like Dawson's Creek, I think, was also on the WB maybe. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't get that network in my town until later on in our cable monopolization. So yeah, I just, I never was aware of it. This was the first I've watched it, but, um, you know, it's very nineties. They, they nailed it. (laughs) Did you, were you not watching the WB because your antenna couldn't get that channel in? Because that's why I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did have a coaxial cable, but it was not that advanced that yeah, you know. we didn't have cable at all so like if we were watching the football game or something and it started to go out my dad literally had to go up on the roof and like Man. actually adjust the antenna that we used so yeah that was pretty entertaining so we couldn't get in like the wb i just remember like fox came in really well yeah that's how it is now because we don't have any cable service so we get cbs really clean mm-hmm but that's it. So I get like my Big Bang Theory, of course. Thank God. It's it's weird how and like an antenna could dictate like basically what you watch when you're younger. Because as the as Fox came in clear, I was I was like a Simpsons guy because that's right. literally the only show that I could watch. I'm like it was a, shoved down your throat 14 times a day. Right, right, and uh, like other shows, I probably didn't, didn't. Yeah, I probably didn't pick up on because it wasn't on Fox. So I think that's that's a. Uh, little interesting uh, side thing we just went on there. We'll have to just do a whole episode on youth television. What yeah. We, what we watched, what we grew up with. Um, so, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The showrunner is Joss Whedon, who since this point has turned into a mogul, basically. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, the nerd thing has really helped him. Yeah, he is the nerd king. He wrote and directed the two Avengers movies, which of course made Buku Bucks. Um, but he also did Firefly, which is like the one show everybody begs for a revival of, you know, every year. It, he also worked on Dr. Horrible, which was the Neil Patrick Harris uh, musical, Nathan Fillion as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, he worked on, he also, uh, before this, he had some uncredited work on Speed, 
a lot of the dialogue was his. He also did some work on Twister. And, uh, of course, the one that led to this was he wrote the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Um, was, that, was that one you watched at all or, or anything like that? I, I Personally, I don't think I've ever actually seen that movie in full. No, I have not. So a little history is that, yeah, Whedon did write the movie. But what happened was that, you know, the tone, he, he hated the tone of the film. He saw it as a broad comedy. He wanted something scary that was about female empowerment. And he actually said in an AV Club interview that he had major involvement. He was there almost all the way through shooting. I pretty much eventually threw up my hands because I could not be around Donald Sutherland any longer. It didn't turn out to be the movie that I had written. Uh, they never do, but that was my first lesson in that. Not that the movie is without merit, but I watched a lot of stupid wannabe star behavior from Sutherland and a director with a different vision than mine, which was her right. It was her movie, but it was still frustrating. Eventually, I was like, I need to be away from here. So following this, Gail Berman, who worked with Fox, uh, approached Whedon to take another crack at it, this time as a TV show. And he then stayed on as a showrunner for five seasons. And I would assume more so achieved his vision since he was the main the main voice and right. reason there. And it eventually ended up at the WB. Uh, they did a 25-minute unaired pilot that they helped to that helped to sell it. And it was a replacement for an Aaron Spelling show called Savannah. So that's how it ended up at the WB. But what were your first? And the episode is titled Welcome to Hellmouth also, which I think is important because they're not exactly pulling any punches with that head, with that title. Yeah, no, it's it nails it. Um, <laughs> my first impressions of it were... Like, they, they came out swinging is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah, first yeah. episode, they're literally opening up the mouth of hell. Right, like, they're talking <laughs> Harvest, they're talking the Master's coming, we need to right. feed this dude. Uh, they There is a lot thrown at us in this pilot. Very, like I said, the 90s thing in full effect. From the fonts they used to that theme song, like you put by Nerf Herder. Mm-hmm. Um, what were your, I love that what, like, yeah, what, slide what, what, guitar sound. <laughs> like all shitty commercials for Matchbox cars. And, you mean the guitar move that opens it up? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. just that they nail that guitar slide sound. And, um, you know, like co-starring vaguely inappropriate shots of Sarah Michelle Gellar, who's supposed to be a high school kid, (laughs) like looking back. (laughs) Um, But I get it. She's supposed to be like the purity of the show. So, Mm -hmm. well, Um, it was cool. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of this compared to the X-Files, which one were you pulled in more by? Um, I like the X-Files more, but this yeah, I mean, you like you said, they drop you into the world of the show, like vampires, killing, fights. It's all there right in the pilot. There's no subtlety, uh, which I like for this kind of show because it's over the top on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's so, o- everything's over the top. The fights are, the choreography. Dialogue. Yeah, we'll get to the dialogue. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's on the tip of my tongue. You know, the, the, I think the opening's really strong in that, he again, he had talked about writing something about female empowerment, which obviously flips the gender conventions of what was around in the 90s, kind of the same way X-Files did. Like, they had this strong female character who wasn't going to take any shit from the male, Mm -hmm. you know, and was a suitable field agent. Well, Buffy is obviously a suitable slayer. And it starts right away in that cold open, making the shy, blonde-haired girl be the vampire, uh, the one that's tricking the guy into, you know, coming into a spot where she's going to kill him. So, really, I mean... 
the opening is meant to trick you in that this guy is bringing the girl to the empty school. He's passing off noises as nothing. He's going to kill her, right? But then these this uh, this woman murders him, and yeah, I mean, a blonde-haired villain leads off the show, and a blonde-haired woman eventually becomes comes in and becomes the hero right away. So I think the opening is very strong, at least. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I would second everything you said. It was a uh, one of those things where there weren't many, and I still can't think of all that many female-driven action shows like especially high school you know young woman now there's a lot where they're like lawyers and whatever like scandal and um Mm -hmm. the other one but what what is her actual job in scandal i've never watched the episode i just Um, she's like banging the president and solving like she's uh, some kind of consultant like with all these connections she's like a fixer maybe gotcha okay that's the word i was thinking like a fixer yeah well, you know, after, but this is like a straightforward ass-kicking comic book style hero, mm-hmm. well, heroine, mm-hmm. and um, this is kind of cool. Well, I think it, I think it helped because after this, you got things like Alias, and True. you know, I think I think there was probably more more so after, and I think today it's pretty good with like Supergirl, um, and you know shows like that. So yeah, I think I think it is getting better where we can have like kick-ass like uh, Carrie Matheson on Homeland. They Even, still have to be ridiculously hot though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that and Carrie, Just to Ma- be clear. Carrie Matheson on Homeland has massive emotional issues, so they're certainly playing up that angle. Um, in terms of this, I, I mean, Geller's like the one that has has it together the most in the show, which is the refreshing part. Like, she's not like a hero with like some like manic issue you know right she's just right a, basically a girl who's trying to fit in but who can also like hang upside down on poles like or what, whatever that was like that gymnastic move she pulled on that dude mm-hmm. the pull-up bar that just happens to be between two buildings <laughs> <laughs> uh they the first time they show her she's under all white covers you know very pure individual that she's painted as again so they can subvert it by episode end so a good use of color there and i mean this this episode's all about sub, subversion everything you think is going to happen is or every time a character is painted in a certain way they're the exact opposite you know the librarian is this nerdy looking guy but he's actually like a what do they call him like a watcher Yes, he is a watcher in the vampire lexicon. Right, a badass watcher. Um, the uh, you know also in the beginning when she's under the covers and everything that like the imagery of her dream, I could see that scaring me. I don't know about you. Like, yeah, that was pretty scary. Like the kind of like the makeup that is kind of goofy, but it's pretty well done. All things considered, like that's the kind of thing that would definitely scare me as a kid. If I had to place a bet, I would say the same person who worked on this makeup also did Jim Carrey's classic, The Mask, <laughs> because the bad guys are identical. Well, I was thinking um, that, and I was also thinking like Star Trek, The Next Generation. Yeah, it has that uh, wharf vibe. Yeah, like the Klingons. I feel like there's a lot of Klingon-esque makeup in here. Mm-hmm. I think, it's I think. Kling- Klingon mask, yep. So let's jump right into the plot here. We have... Uh, What's it? Buffy Summers, right? Is mm-hmm. that her name? Uh, we have Buffy coming to a new school where there has been a murder seemingly the night before. Um, she is simply trying to start over after burning down her last gym uh, of the last school she was at, fighting vampires. Um, and so we get this school entrance. We have the dead body set up. And meanwhile, basically underneath the school is the opening of hell. 
the opening, the door of hell. And mm-hmm. we have like these five vampire guys who are kind of just hanging out and, <laughs> you know, they're just kind of hanging out in a cave for a while. Not really doing yeah, much. They anything. are just hanging in a cave. That's <laughs> like in hell, that's where they always show people like, like if I'm one of those guys, hell isn't that bad. You're like a henchman. You've got a job. You're not just sitting there being tortured. You get to right. like mess with other people. That's okay. Fine. Like that's a pretty good deal. I, I think. right. How do you get that in hell versus like getting salt poured down your throat and stuff or whatever? Like if the devil is so powerful, or the master, I guess, is the devil in this. Why wouldn't he? Would he not make it a little more comfy? Like I don't know. Right. Like Why a, is a he couch in a shitty part of the cave? Like it's hell. Why? Is isn't he ruling it? Well, and the master's completely underwater for most of this episode. <laughs> Weird. Uh, okay, so we went over the makeup. Oh, we have Xander, who is the um, kind of the uh, humor of the show. He has the hots for Buffy. Him and Willow, played by Allison Hannigan, used to have a thing in fifth grade or something. And so, again, we have Willow, who is the shy girl, played by Hannigan. And we have, what's the one chick's name that... Uh, Cordelia. Cordelia, yep. Played by Charisma Carpenter, hmm. who would later make an appearance on Veronica Mars in kind of like the same type of character. She very much looks like a bitch, so she's always going to play one, I guess. They don't, yeah. really, they don't really mess with it. And a couple other characters. We have Rupert Giles, who is the librarian and the watcher. And uh, we also have the first appearance of Angel by David. How do you say his last name? Uh, Bore- Boreanaz. Boreanaz, who would play Angel eventually to get a spin-off. And then in Bones, actually, too. Yeah, so. yeah. And then would take a lead role in Bones. These guys so. signed a 30-year deal with Fox. Like <laughs> acting career is just Fox fucking pop <laughs> dramas or whatever. Can I do a movie? Nope, no, we got nope. a, we got reshoots of Bones to do. <laughs> yeah, only if it's through Fox Studio, then sure, <laughs> sign me up. But that's it. Uh, I don't know. What, what else do you want to talk about here? We haven't really dug into much. I'm... I'm kind of uh, stumbling over what to start with in terms of like the actual quality of this pl- of this pilot. Well, since I'm coming in fresh, some things I noticed were this. I'm trying to put myself back in the '90s, and there was this thing that a lot of people did, and it's funny that I mentioned the mask because Xander's dialogue and just his mannerisms, even his like floppy hair, is so. Jim Carrey inspired. It was like people didn't know how to be funny in the 90s if they weren't in doing a Jim Carrey movie role impersonation. It was so obnoxious. You couldn't get away from Ace Ventura quotes, mask, all, all that stuff. So I noticed a lot of Xander's things. You'd be like, well, huh, huh, you know, that kind of like <laughs> weird tone of like Fire Marshal Bill. You're doing like an impression of an impression at that point. And I, so I noticed maybe I'm looking for it, but like that mixed with the Josh Whedon, Josh Whedon dialogue, um, it almost reminded me of Juno by Diablo Cody. Like right. Whedon sort of has that going on in my mind. So those were a couple of things. And then the makeup also being Jim Carrey inspired. It was like he just had all the power. He was I didn't realize Jim Carrey's influence, but well, and, and you have, he like, the first time we see him, he, again, has the floppy hair and everything, and then he also skateboards into a railing. So you have, like, the physical yeah, humor the and everything. Yeah, the physical, like, doofus, like, yeah, the, skateboard thing. This is what I noticed about that character, and also the Eric Belfort character, who, like, is the tall, like, he looks kind of goofy, he's got, like, black hair. He ends oh, up, yeah, the tall guy, yeah. Right, he ends up being the the guy who's, like, bit at the end, you know? 
both of those kids, like, this is just kind of TV for you. They're supposed to be the outcasts. They're supposed to be like the goofballs who can't get girls. But they look exactly like the kind of jocks who would get all the girls in high school. Exactly, and played <laughs> them in other stuff. Right. They're, yeah, Belfort was actually like a jock in some other teen movie, I think, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. He was. So I like all right offhand, but for sure. It's just hard to believe like them being put down by Cordelia and seeming like they've never had girlfriends in their life when they've one has played the cool guy in other movies and they both look like guys that would get a lot of tail in high school. Right. And even Allison Hannigan, who is this, hot is hot and <laughs> As time has gone on, ironically, if you cast people now, she would be in the hot role and Geller would be lucky to be like her quirky friend. Well, I, I guess we can career talk about... Career-wise. Career-wise. We can talk about Geller later, but she really hasn't done anything since, like... I think I have, like, a little thing here. Since, like, 2006 when she did the follow-up to The Grudge, mm. which is very strange. The one thing... I have, like, a little chart of uh, that I copied off IMDb. Of like Scooby Doo, the sequel to that, The Grudge, the sequel to that, Cruel Intentions. But one thing that's left off of here is I know what you did last summer. That was like her biggest role, I think. Mm. She, she was in that, right? <laughs> was it? I don't I, know. I thought that was Jennifer Love Hewitt's deal. Oh, it was Jennifer Love Hewitt. So she wasn't even in that. So she hasn't really had a great career. Not. Re- I mean, she was. There for a while, you know. Oh, no, no, she is in it. Yeah, she's in it. I know what she did last summer. Yeah, she's on the poster. Jennifer Love Hewitt's the lead. So that's probably what it is. But yeah, she plays a woman named Helen Shivers. Great name. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I just feel funny, like, how how that happens. Like, the hot becomes the not. But I'm sure it was a personal choice. I'm sure it wasn't, like... You can't act anymore. I mean, she was married to Freddie Prince Jr. They were like a Hollywood mini power couple, I think, in that goofy world of B-listers, maybe. Well, it's just like the cruelty of Hollywood. She probably had a couple yeah. kids. Probably had a couple kids, and then Chloe Grace Moretz was stealing her roles. So. Yeah, that, well, that is a problem, and um, you know, it's very strange that she just kind of disappeared. And Hannigan's actually had a pretty strong career. I mean, she did this, and she did How I Met Your Mother, which she was like a. She certainly wasn't the weak character in that ensemble. It was, All those American Pie movies. Yeah, she did American Pie and was a favorite character of that. I don't think she's done a ton lately, but she she had a, again a good good like five six to eight year run of stuff. And it was it was something in the nineties too, like where I'm surprised they didn't have her character in glasses, and then in season two when they want to sex her up a little bit, she magically <laughs> takes them off. You know, like <laughs> oh, you're wearing this ugly Sears dress. Well, like, what was that? Her Something good. What know? was that movie that that actually happened then? Uh can't hardly wait. Freddie Prince Jr. Wait. That was a real movie. No, that's not it. Can't hardly wait. So or no, no, I'm sorry. Uh, it's shoot. What was that called? She's Look, all now. that. She's all that. Yeah. Yes. That has Freddie Prince. Uh, the other one had Jennifer Love Hewitt in it. Either Jennifer Love Hewitt or Freddie Prince were in every teen every movie team. of the nineties. <laughs> Yeah, can't hardly wait's good because it has Ethan Embry in it, Seth Green. That's I like that one. That's a really good one. That uh, one is was the edgy, realistic one. That was the reality bites for us, <laughs> right? Which is really, really sad. The '90s was not a good run for teen movies. No, or, it was bad. Um, we we had none of the John Hughes magic whatsoever. So you don't think Geller looks like a high schooler? Because I think it's pretty like I think she could pass for one. 
I think she could at the beginning of this, but she was probably 23. You know, she was probably 30 by the time the show was done running. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how long they kept her in high school because that's like a syndrome in Hollywood. Like, how long can we keep them in school? Right. Can it? Can we keep them? Because I think one that's really bad is my girlfriend watches Pretty Little Liars. Oh, okay. And they kept him in school for what seemed like forever, like five <laughs> five seasons. And these girls are like twenty eight, twenty seven. It's like it's enough. They're I, I get it. They're not in high school anymore. Just put them in college with the same style classrooms and be done with it. Right, like Saved by the Bell did. It was so strange. Veronica Mars is actually a show that does it well. They she actually goes to college, so that's kind of nice. And it allows you to drop some of the characters too. So if you have a really big cast, you go to yeah, college. Yeah, you can you drop, drop some, some dead weight there. Um, okay, so some notes that I have: uh, Xander immediately gets a hard on for Buffy to the point where he sexually harasses her in front of the school. Um, they mentioned John Tesh, and I need you to tell me what this reference is. Oh, yeah, where they're given the cool test and they drop all these cultural references. Right. So, John Tesh, um, fun fact about him the NBA intro on NBC, that music, he wrote that. Like, da na 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 na. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, his music was along the lines of like a Kenny G in the 90s, but it was piano based, but it was like very new agey, and he would hawk his terrible albums on like entertainment tonight on which he was a host and he was just a 90s douche like a seacrest without that little sprightly elfin lovability that seacrest has just like a goon that like who knows how he even ended up in hollywood and then he just it seemed he was very famous and overpaid for like a lack of talent hmm. you know if so you, i think that's why they were crapping on him if you ever want to make your show seem dated just yeah. do do a test of cultural references that is not going to last for like five years. <laughs> yeah, and that's always hard too because you never know. But that one was a stretch. Like I could see why nobody would get that now. Like at the time, I'm sure like that. That's like a modern. That's a cool way of writing. Like Veronica Mars does the same thing. I see a lot of similarities in them. That's why I keep bringing it up. And but it does get dated very quickly. I think. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about weed in dialogue. Okay, that's like the big thing. Um, so I I tried to find like some think pieces about his dialogue. There's surprisingly not a ton written about it. So I'm going to give my interpretation and then I, I'll be curious to hear yours. This okay. is, this is kind of like the perfect example of what I think his dialogue is. And I'm not saying it's bad. It's entertaining. It's mm -hmm. witty. It's quick. But we've talked about this before. It's not how human beings interact. And that could be that could be just part of the fact that this is basically a comic book brought to life. So why would you want people to interact in the way they usually interact, right? Right. We're, we're looking for escapism. So you can think of it either way. You can say they talk like that because it's TV. Get over it, loser. Um, <laughs> so this is kind of like my perfect example. You like sent away for the Time Life series. That's what Buffy asks the, uh, the uh, librarian when he's listing off all the monsters. Mm -hmm. and it's like a throwaway joke that you would throw out to insult somebody and then the conversation would continue but he actually responds to the question he said oh well actually i did <laughs> right that's like if you have um if you have time to throw in an actual response to an insult while then continuing the conversation seamlessly that's like weed in dialogue like okay. everybody to me everybody is a genius at um insults and responses simultaneously yeah, there, yeah, there are no like, 
There's no people that can't right. There's no people that can't handle the rhythm. And again, yeah, nothing is left hanging. That's a really good point to it. Even the nerds are cool, right? There's this like there's this otherworldliness, I guess, mm-hmm. to the speaking. Like it, it feels like something that would come out of like a Shakespeare adaptation or something. And he loves Shakespeare. He's directed an adaptation of that, a modern one. And uh, I mean, you can even see it in like Avengers. Uh, dry humor is another thing that people bring up a lot with him. Nobody laughs at the jokes in here, right? It's all like they're responding directly to the joke. Um, they are moving on to the next one. Nobody's actually like laughing when so- when they say yeah, something funny. Yeah, nothing's funny. funny. So, you, I mean, it's dry in that manner. And literary references. Um, in the recent Avengers Age of Ultron, James Spader, who's brought up in this episode, right? Yes, yes, he is. Does say something as about, a heartthrob, right? As a heartthrob. So now, fat James Spader, um, <laughs> he voices Ultron in the Avengers movie, and again, he's like dropping quips. He's a an evil robot who drops quips. It's like the perfect Joss Whedon character. But yeah, I mean, that's know, that's my take on it. I know that you sometimes are rubbed the wrong way by like non, not non traditional, but non human dialogue. Yeah, I don't love it, but the more I think about it and the more I try to respect this rather than hate on everything, that's one of my New Year's resolutions. <laughs> well, no, I think that's, I mean, it's TV. It's They're trying for different vibes, I think. It is TV, and he's setting up, like, Whedon is good. Probably the same thing with, like, J.J. Abrams or any of those guys. Um, they create a world. So, like you said, in the Whedon world, like, this is how people talk. Right. And that's an easy cop out if you go on to have no skill, but he's proven that he can establish worlds and do things. So this is just like the beginning of it. So in a way, it's cool to watch this knowing how awesome he would become. It's probably like watching Lost and then thinking about JJ Abrams and like Yeah. You know, what he would go on to do. So I do I respect it artistically. It's just not and again, I hate to bring it back up, but it's the same with Juno, like the movie would have been better handling such a heavy thing with like realistic talking. But this, they're handling a fake, made up, fun monster goofball world thing. So it fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, for, C- Cody's, so. yeah, Cody's very much from that world. I'm trying to think of somebody else, like a current, like a modern day writer who's really good at like world building. I would, maybe like Noah Hawley, who does Fargo. Like he handles like the funny accents and like, you know, those types of quips that they maybe overdid a little bit at times. Yeah, and Fargo's real dry, too, like this. Yeah, he's able to do that. Um, I guess I'd have to come back to, like, who is, who is yeah, like, Joss Whedon-esque. I, I know what you mean. Um, maybe, um, maybe, so like, yeah, that, maybe, like, Lindelof is another one. He worked on Lost for a while. He did yeah. the, the Leftovers. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I think, I don't think we're going to argue much about what's the strongest. I mean, that, that the dialogue is the strongest portion of this episode. I don't yeah, know. I don't it know if you'd overall agree. drives everything. It's a dialogue-driven show. It's a thinker, like you said. It's not for dummies. Um, you got to appreciate the satirical element too. Like, while keeping the world pretty accurate to the time it's based in. Right, and another thing in terms of the weed and dialogue is that again, nobody ever stops talking. You have to constantly talk, even when you're alone. Like when somebody leaves, the characters are still talking to themselves or like Buffy's picking out a dress 
and she has to like constantly. Yeah, she be, has to narrate. She, Total yeah. slut or whatever the other. Oh, would you like a copy of the Watchtower? <laughs> that was pretty funny. So what, what's the Watchtower? <laughs> the Watchtower is the magazine that Jehovah's Witness bring with them. <laughs> they go door to door to like try and recruit. <laughs> That's pretty good. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what else do we got here? What What are some of your other notes that we haven't hit on yet? Um, one thing in the 90s was that parents in shows were always warning their kids not to fall in with the wrong crowd. Right. Uh, that her mom says that exact phrase, which is like after school especially. I always look for that. How bad is her – like this is another thing we've talked about, like bad parents. And yeah, the like mom sucked here. Unrealistically bad parents. How does she not know that her daughter kills vampires for a living? <laughs> right. It seems like you know she burned down a gym to murder people. You feel like, you know, she would get like an inkling of, oh, my daughter has magical um, killing powers. Right. But like all parents, <laughs> she resorts to saying, well, my perfect daughter, hopefully this school accepts you better than the last one you burnt down. It's, it's not your fault. Oh, and in, in the comic book tradition, it's very hard for like parental figures to figure out that their children like uh, Peter Parker right. are Peter, like. What's with the spider costume? Uh, you know, it's nothing. <laughs> just just wash it. Don't worry about it, Aunt <laughs> Betty or whatever. Uh, I have I have some really good lines that I wanted to make sure we hit on. I had uh, where she asks if there's any marks. So again, she's not exactly, and this is the part of the parent part. She's not exactly hiding that she kills vampires. She's like, oh look, yeah, any marks look, on the body? Yeah. Look, like, who would think to ask that? Right, right. Uh, she says, "Oh, great!" When she sees the dead guy, really, really nice timing by Geller. Um, I'm trying to see what else. How bad can it, how bad and evil can there be here? And then they immediately go down to the nasty ass. Cave. Yeah, that's when they pan <laughs> down to the master's layer down right. in the we, cave. We will show you uh, the big, you know, the big tough vampire, the guy that gets into a fight at the at the end with her. Yeah, I didn't care for him. Uh, he was in a bunch of X Files episodes. He's like an alien bounty hunter in that one, and he plays basically a big tough guy in that one as well. And he also was in. The second Mortal Kombat movie. Oh, they made a second, huh? Yeah, it's called Mortal Kombat Annihilation. <laughs> I think it went to theaters, I'm pretty sure, because the first one was kind of a hit. I think the second one went to theaters, and uh, yeah, that was like a VHS favorite for me growing up, was the second Mortal Kombat. Nice. <laughs> but he was the main bad guy in that, so he made a living off of just being like a punching bag for the good characters. Hmm. And being just a general badass. I don't. I can't remember what his name is, but he's he was in a lot of stuff in like that '90s period. Cool. So, um, what else did you have? What about the angel appearance? What did you think of that? Well, I didn't know what to make of it because you know it, it uh, sets up what I'm assuming is the love hate relationship between those characters. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. he helping her? Is he setting her up to like fail? And. Um, I like the fighting skills. I don't always like how people put their hands up on TV, like in <laughs> like they're, a karate they're gonna, pose. Right, yeah. Um, I wonder, like, what the obviously they had a lot of fight choreographers on this, but I wonder, like, what their style was they were working from. Were they working from kung fu or karate? Like, that would be something that would be cool to research. Like, what the fighting was like because it was kind of like acrobatic and it was very violent. It was a lot right. more violent a show than I was ready to watch. And it was unexpected, like, how 
I mean, I'm sure it was a stunt double or whatever, but how talented they wanted Buffy to seem. Yeah, like doing parkour and right. being a ninja, but also really strong and it wasn't uh, that it wasn't just that she was like good at using a stake or whatever, but she's like a karate master. <laughs> right. She doesn't even need weapons to fight vampires. <laughs> no, she's just literally kicking their ass, which yeah. it's kinda of fun, I guess. Oh, the uh I did want to bring this up to you. In the unaired pilot, I don't know if you watched it at all, there is a fight at the end of that unaired pilot that they used to sell it. That is way better than the one they have at the end of the actual episode. So if anybody is interested in Buffy and hasn't seen this, um, I'll drop that YouTube link in the in the uh, show post. It's like this huge choreographed fight on like this like a like a school play stage, and like people are getting thrown through the floors, and like Buffy's getting thrown through walls. It's really huh. it's really intense and pretty good actually. They must have dialed that back for this then, but it was. Still pretty violent, and I mean, it was yeah, it was like her versus three others, and she was like, because it was like a set where you can run upstairs and stuff, and uh, yeah, it was really well choreographed and a lot better than what they ended up with, which was just a couple moves and that like tomb thing. So, the tomb was scary. The tomb was a little scary. There were some scary moments in this. There were the like um. The monsters, like I said, they weren't necessarily that scary to me. Like when, whenever they turn from human to monster, that always kind of gets me, even though you yeah. know it's coming. Well, I but mean, the the vibe was pretty scary. Yeah, like they they weren't monsters who they seemed like they could harm you, which I think is the key the key factor you have to have, in, especially in a scary show. Like if you're going to keep bringing people back every single week, they have to seem formidable enough that they could actually hurt the main character. Like, they were talking to them. They were having these cute little conversations. And yeah, and they can, again, hurl insults. Everybody in the Whedon world is, like, a great dismaster. Right. <laughs> like, all Roastmaster generals. So, right, everyone's <laughs> hilarious and real cute. And right. then it's like, oh, here's a stake through your heart, and now you're a pile of orange dust. You know, the like, the change from the regular people to the monsters reminded me a lot of Evil Dead. In that, like, the change is so sudden that you can't help but being, but jump a little bit. Yeah. And I don't know if you watched Evil Dead before or anything like that, but the Evil Dead monsters, again, have, a, like, a lot of personality. They're telling Ash to fuck off, you know, hmm. th things like that. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so that's kind of what it reminded me of. The, the quick changes, a little bit of the makeup. Evil Dead's a little scarier, bloodier. But um, have you have you ever seen an Evil Dead movie? No, I haven't actually. For scaredy cats like us, it's kind of like the perfect scary movie. It's okay. Like one of the only ones I could watch as a kid that didn't give me nightmares, that didn't, you know, have me. Because it's funny. Yeah, it's it's like it's got the humorous bend, and you know the deaths are funny, and I mean even though there's things like tree rape and stuff, <laughs> it's, wow, it's nothing like so traumatic that you couldn't like. It's not going to traumatize a kid if there's any parents out there who want to show their kid like a scary movie. Evil Dead's a pretty good one to start with. So hmm. at least, uh, I, th at least I think so. Uh, let's see. What else do we got? Uh, well, I wanted to mention the librarian again if we can. Yeah, yeah, Giles. Put him in your notes. And uh, one thing I've noticed lately, like I watched um, Trainwreck, the Amy Schumer movie. Um, 13 Going on 30 jumps to mind because that's one of Marissa's favorite movies. Mm-hmm. But why is it that when you want somebody to be serious and educated, 
the most exotic thing that an American can come up with is a British accent. <laughs> like the closest possible thing to how we talk. Right. Well, you know, what's funny about it that gives is you instant cred. You're a genius no matter what. Like, yeah, of course I know all these monsters and how to fight vampires. There's, I'm British. There's, like, no, there's no dumb people in, in Great Britain no, at all. No, <laughs> every British citizen is a damn expert in life. Like any aspect of life. Just one time I want one of the British exports to be like a rugby fan. Who's just like a raging alcoholic, right? And just uh, a normal guy. Just a normal guy, which I probably offended all Brits by saying normal people are alcoholics over there. I right. did not mean that. It's okay, you, that but, I think uh, they know understand the sentiment. Like you know, you know what? It's not they're all not they're all not Ox- all Oxford Einstein. educated. You know, like Agent Mulder. Ox- was he Oxford? Right. Yeah, and yeah, Oxford, and he right? doesn't even have the accent. Well, he's spoiler alert. He's from Massachusetts. So, oh okay yeah but i just i noticed that like the most exotic thing that american television writers can come up with is an australian or british accent <laughs> well, um, and then yeah you mentioned he's like these teen clubs i actually we have some time we have about six minutes left okay. and, um, well, we gotta save time for our game so save like three minutes okay this won't teen clubs in the 90s there were all these club underage clubs where they would do these concerts and have little get-togethers and like there was actually one in meadville called the jamazon oh it's not here anymore i don't know i mean i haven't gone since i I was a kid i don't think it is i live there i haven't heard of it so but it's like this club like there would be a crappy local band doing some green day covers probably or corn or some music like that And then you couldn't drink, of course, except all the Pepsi you could, your bladder could handle. But kids would just sit there and smoke packs on packs of cigarettes. <laughs> it was like the place to go only to smoke because there were no dorky parents and you could blast your music. And it really, like, that was real. That's what we did for fun most weekend nights. Like, we would pregame at these teen club. You know, we would sneak in liquor in a Gatorade bottle or something. Right. And then smoke 30 cigarettes until our lungs were freaking bleeding and then go, you know, drink in the woods or whatever. So that's like a real thing. But the librarian being there in a million years would never happen. Like that is so creepy and disgusting why he's like hanging around these kids outside of school. That really. So he's hanging around at this teen club, like at the top, just being creepy. Because he had a feeling she'd be there. Right. And then he's like hovering over Buffy. Like it's just real real creepy like um I, I got a couple notes we'll get through before until we play our game just wanted to mention that uh no problem i liked it shake shake the faith is in this episode uh anti-heroes um sprung monkey is the live band that plays at the club they're also in the episode a bunch um i have never heard of the band sprung monkey so that was a deep a deep dig by whedon uh, yeah. The quality, like the film quality, I, I, I compare it again to the X-Files pilot. It's a little grainy, but it feels physical. You know, the costumes are physical. It's not like a big CGI suck fest. It's, yeah, I did appreciate that. It's just, it's an, it's an organic product. You can really feel the effort and the work that they put into all the creature designs and anything like that. Um, one more cool moment when he slams the vampire book down on the table. There's a really cool musical moment. I don't, I don't exactly know who did the score for this episode, but I really love that. And uh, let's get onto our game. What do you think? Let's do it. Okay, new game to finish up the episode. We are going to play, and we'll you know we'll we'll drop some theme music for this. We're gonna play a game called Spin Out. <laughs>
Hey, welcome to Spin Out, very first episode. And what Spin Out is, is we are going to take Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and we have to axe Angel out of the uh, equation, because he already had a spinoff. So, what Spin Out is, is that you're going to take one character from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you are going to give me the title of their spinoff, and you're going to give me just a little logline of what you think it would be about. So if you had to pick one character from this pilot and give them a spinoff, what hmm. would it be and what would the title be? Wow, okay. And like you said, yeah, Angel already got one. Angel already got one. So our characters, you know, we have Giles, we have the Master, we have, or is it the Sleeper or the Master? I can't remember. Whatever his name is. Um, we have the big buff guy. We have Willow, Xander. You can go past, you can go present, or you can go future, whatever you want to do. Be as creative as you want. So if you think Xander in 20 years is a raging alcoholic who abuses women, which he probably is, uh, you can go for that. Hmm. What's your character, first off? My character is going to be Xander. Okay, Xander. So are we going past or future? We're going future. Okay. So Xander's spinoff in the future after 145 episodes of Buffy. What's your log line? Um, <laughs> I feel like something bad is cooking in your brain. No, I'm going to go. It's a sitcom. Okay. And uh, what now is Xander? Does he have a last name? Xander Harris. Oh, man. Shit. <laughs> that doesn't work. Okay. You keep thinking. All right. I th- yeah, I th- sorry. I, th- I think I think I've got one. Okay. I don't know what the guy's name is, unfortunately, but the big buff guy, right? Yeah. The, the spinoff would be about that big buff guy, which hopefully I can eventually find his name, and it would be called Transylvania Jacked. All right. <laughs> so it's kind of like a a Jersey Shore type show. But set in Transylvania, so it's like him and his buddies, and all they do all day is lift weights and just bang chicks. <laughs> because what, what I always wonder about, like, really buff monster guys, especially in this show, is like, when did they take the time to get buff? Yes, I've always wondered that about bad guys. They're all jacked. Like, is bad guy training involved, like, CrossFit? Well, I don't know. But they I, all smoke cigs, too. That's I, I want to find this out. I want to find out exactly where... His, the guy's name is Brian Thompson, by the way, this big guy I'm talking about. I want to find out when he got jacked. And I want like a documentary-style show of like him and his bros. Because he's a total bro in that world. I don't think yeah. we can ever argue that. Him and his bros, hanging out, getting chicks, and getting jacked. So Transylvania Jacked. That's my show. I dig it. So what do you got here? Well, what I got is I got Xander's future as a stand-up comedian. <laughs> but because he's scarred for life, he still has to kill vampires like when he's done doing a set. Like Oh. So he has this double life as this badass, but he's still a sad boy. During the day, he's still this like stand-up comedian who's sad in his own world. Like it would be Louis-esque, but him on stage telling these like deadpan jokes, almost <laughs> like a Stephen Wright type. Okay, I like and that. And then cut to him being this like badass. But every time he kills 
a vampire, he has to say like a Jim Carrey style catchphrase. Now is it Which would be there's nothing funny. Like is it a mask is it a mask style humor or is it like a Louis style humor where like he walks around really sad and like the kills are really awkward and He's like, really sad, and unfortunately, he can only be funny when killing vampires. On stage, all of his jokes bomb. <laughs> and but then like, he's hilarious right. with these. Every week, there's like a funny line he says when he stabs, you know, a vampire in the heart. And he's like, I really wish I could say that on stage, but it wouldn't make any sense. Right, and like one of them would be like, I'll take my steak rare because it's like a bloody steak through the heart. You know Ooh. what I'm saying? But then on stage, it's it's awful. If Joss Whedon never used that line, he is really, really just, <laughs> he failed as a writer. You sh- I mean, you should have written on the show. The, hey, guy, the no. guy's name that I was talking about, I knew it was like an everyday normal name. His name is Luke. <laughs> Good God. And he eventually, in 98, this show starts in 97, in 98, he becomes a character called the judge wow yeah and he's on uh he's only on four episodes so he must meet an end at some point good i would i would like to see that all right so uh let's wrap it up this has been pilot study episode number nine yeah this was number nine we're almost in double digits already number nine uh grimes give him your plugs all right well you can find grimes that's me third person style (laughs) on twitter at underscore grimes john um or you know at pilot study pod hit us up uh you can find me at chris lantinen c-h-r-i-s-l-a-n-t-i-n-e-n and uh yeah hit us up in pilot study pod on twitter and pilot study pod at gmail.com if you want any shows featured we'll be doing some we'll be doing a reader's choice episode at the end of this month to finish out monster hunter month uh but we have well let's just play the clip from next week's show and then we'll let people i'm sure people will be able to get what we're going for have we checked to see if this episode is available anywhere in pilot form I have not checked. <laughs> okay, so we shouldn't say the name in case it ends up being something we can't find. So but here's a clip. Whatever the clip you hear is the show we're doing next week. It might not be the one I have in my head. It might not involve a dog that sniffs out ghosts sometimes. <laughs> I can't. I, I'm not sure. It may or may not. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up. Thank you guys very much for listening, and we'll be back later next week at some point. Listen to us. Subscribe on iTunes. And uh, yeah, have a good one. Do it up.